0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org And now, this week's message. You will travel far, my little gal, but we will never leave you, even in the face of our death. You will make my strength your own. You will see my life through your eyes, as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father, and the father the, the son. recognize that as the intro to Superman Returns, but you never thought you'd see that at church, did you? It's an interesting thought behind that. If you study history and you study human nature, you find out that there's been a centerpiece of every civilization from the beginning of recorded history to today. It's the concept that, that man needs rescued some way. I, I think it's because we look at our world and we look at each other and we look at ourselves and we go, it's got to be better than this. Right? The story has to end better than a world. You know, as I was driving to the office this morning, I was listening to a speaker who was speaking to the Commonwealth Club of California and he was talking about the Taliban It was really interesting what he had to say about the Taliban and how many places they operate in the world and and what they're up to. And it doesn't take a whole lot. You don't have to read a whole lot of newspapers to realize it's a pretty scary place. Just this week, we buried four Oakland policemen. And if you looked into that case at all, it kind of made your blood run cold. It was just the ugly, the ugliest of the ugly of human nature. And so at the centerpiece of every civilization has been this concept that we need someone supernatural to rescue us. It's not amazing to me that we find the superhero in so many, many things because it speaks so deeply to our human nature even when we spoof it with cartoons. It still speaks to something way down inside us, Because there's something about human nature that says there's more to life than just life here on this earth. That there's a sense in which we need someone far greater and more powerful and more righteous and more holy than we are to rescue us. And the belief in the supernatural that there is someone out there who actually knows about us, who cares about us and who actually is going to help us. Well, I want to talk to you about who that might be. You know, throughout history, there have actually only been three sort of general ideas that have been put forth. And so I, I, I want to walk you through those. Let's start with our first thought question, and that is, okay, if this is the centerpiece, by the way, however a culture determines what they believe about the supernatural determines its morality and it determines its destiny. This is not a small question. It's the biggest question of life. What is that eternal superhero like? Well, one of the things that's been put forward is the concept of polytheism. If you study history, you'll understand that there have been many cultures that were polytheistic and Polytheism just comes from two, two Greek concepts. Poly meaning many, and, and theism meaning a belief in God. So polytheism is a belief in many gods. And uh, sure enough, as you study polytheistic cultures, basically what they believe and what they tend to teach is that there's a hierarchy of gods out there, and they're pretty much all power-based deities, And they duke it out and fight it out. And whoever wins is on top. And whoever loses becomes a regional deity. And if you want the good life, you have to know who controls what. And you have to know what they demand or desire. Because if you don't give them what they desire, you'll live under their curse. That's polytheism. In every polytheistic culture in the history of mankind has basically believed some variation or form of that. There are polytheistic cultures in our world today, many of them actually. A second idea has been postulated, and it could be loosely called pantheism. The theism remains the same, but pan literally means all, okay? So pantheism is a a belief that there's not a God or many gods, but that there is a supernatural essence or nature that's in everything. It's in you, it's in me, it's in our world, it's in the Mother Earth. Some of you will recognize that terminology, right? It's in everything, and if you want the good life, you have to get in touch with, with that divine nature or essence that's in you and that's in your world. And if you connect with it deep enough and you develop it enough, you will eventually become part of it and be absorbed into it. There's all sorts of pantheistic philosophies that are out there today. Virtually all the New Age thinking has pantheism at its core. I mean, you can find manifestations from the people who do all the crystal things and, and believe in the power of the crystal or believe in the power of the pyramid or whatever else it is. It's just all different forms of pantheism that somehow there's a divine nature that's in everything and you've got to get in touch with it and live it out. Then there's monotheism. Mono meaning one and theism still meaning theism. Okay, got it? So it's the belief that there is one God, and every and there are a few forms of monotheism, principally three, actually. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Those are the three major monotheistic religions in the history of mankind. And they will teach you that this God, now they disagree about what that God is like, they all believe there's one God and they will teach you that this God created everything that exists and if you want the good life you need to align your life with His will. I believe there's very good reason to believe that monotheism is actually based on truth and that the God of the Bible is actually that one God. Now, So you got those three things. How do you decide which is which? Well, that brings up the next thought question, how can I make the correct choice? And I want to give you two things, and the first word is the word truth. You see, you and I all know that in every other realm other than religion, let's set religion aside over here for a minute, In all the other realms of life, we all know that choices that are based on truth tend to be more successful than choices that are based on error. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Think about this for a minute. Not too long ago, something that most Californians believed was that the housing market in California was here to stay. And we invested based upon that belief. We thought, you know, it may not always just go straight up like it's been going up. It may level off for a while, but you know California, it levels off for three to five years, and then it takes off again, but it never goes down. Okay? And guess what? That didn't turn out to be so true, did it? And and my heart goes out to people sitting in our audience this morning who are fighting foreclosure because they believed that as we virtually all did. You see, when we make decisions that are not based on truth, they end up being unsuccessful decisions and oftentimes very costly decisions. Now listen, as important as your house is, and it's very, very important, it pales in comparison to the importance of eternity. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So when it comes to eternity, we don't dare be wrong. It's worth our time to find out what the truth is. Now, Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, he said, you will know the truth. By the way, do you understand that that's a promise? Isn't it? That's what he said. You will know that he said that to his followers. In other words, if I will follow Jesus... And, and i will listen to what he has to say he said i give you this promise you're going to end up knowing the truth you won't have to live your life just kind of guessing in the uh, you know trial and error form of thing but you will actually know the truth and then what did he say about the truth and the truth will it will bring a freedom in your life i want to live with that kind of freedom I want to know that what I'm basing my life on it never will change because it's true. It doesn't have to change. At some points it may be co- politically correct and at other points it may be considered politically incorrect but that's because politics changes and cultures change but they don't always endure because many cultures wander from the truth and that's why they don't endure. And guess what eventually it all comes back to what is actually true that's why in this church we are in a lifelong search and continual dedication to what is true and i'm and i'm glad you're part of that i want to encourage you to always be part of that because the truth is the only thing that can actually bring real security and real freedom into your life. So, there is a truth. There can't be three different one gods. Does that make sense to you? They can't all three be God and yet only one is God. That's not how life works. Opposing things cannot, both be, cannot all be true at the same time. And since there are no eyewitnesses, how do we decide? what is true. This is the flip side of truth that's very important for you to know, and it's a word called evidence. Yeah. When there are no eyewitnesses, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, um, my wife was gone on a Friday evening, and it was about eight or nine o'clock, and I had worked hard, and I was tired, and so I Well, I wonder what's on TV, and there's nothing really fun on TV. So I flipped over, and I started watching this thing called Forensic Files. I watched three episodes, back to back to back, right? That was fascinating to me. And I pulled up their website, and honest to God, this is what's on their website. You can go pull it up. It says, no witnesses, no leads, no problem. Why? Because there's always evidence. Don't ever let anyone tell you that because no one has ever seen and been an eyewitness to God that there's no evidence that God exists. Because they're not telling you the truth. There is mountains of evidence that God exists. And not only that God exists, which God is the one that really exists and what He's really like. And that's another whole sermon for another whole series. But I want you to know that, that, that I'm not a Christian today because I just crossed my fingers and hope I guessed. And guessed right. There's worlds of evidence. And so what does the Bible say? The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Underline and circle the word substance. Faith has real substance to it. If it's real faith... Now, you could put faith in things and not have any substance to your faith. But I would never encourage you to do that, even if you chose to become a Christian. I would want you to have some real substance to your faith. And then the second thing it says, it's the evidence. Circle and underline that word, evidence. There's real evidence for the God of the Bible. Lots and lots and lots of it. Now, I'm going to give you one this morning. The title of this particular sermon series is called T minus 700 and as bob already told you i borrowed that terminology from nasa and if this were you know um houston and and we were at mission control t minus 700 would mean that we were 700 seconds prior to launch and it would be counting Well, this is not T-700 in that we're 700 seconds prior to a launch, but we're going to talk today uh, for the next three weeks about a guy by the name of Isaiah. And uh, probably all of you have heard of the name Isaiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he lived 700 years prior to Jesus coming to earth. And that's where we got the title T-700. I'm going to talk to you from a passage of Scripture written by a man who lived 700 years before Jesus. And the things that he revealed about Jesus are in such detail that it's truly stunning and amazing. Because what I'm really going to talk to you about this morning, and actually for the next couple of weeks, is the evidence of prophecy. You see, human beings don't have the ability to predict the future, as we've learned recently, not even stockbrokers. Now, I know that there's the psychic network and all those sorts of things, but I'm amazed that those guys never win the lottery, so that'll tell you something, right? <laughs> yeah, just guessing. Normal human beings don't have the ability to accurately predict the future, but when God gets involved, God has the ability to reveal the future. And so we're going to see, as we look at at just a short passage, Isaiah has 66 chapters in this book that he wrote, and we're only going to look at one of them. It's the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And in this chapter, we're going to see amazing details of Jesus' life predicted, 700 years before he ever lived. And right away, some of you are going to say, how do I know Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus? Well, first of all, history tells us so. Then you're going to ask me, how do I know that the book in the Bible is the actual book that Isaiah wrote? And again, I don't have time to get into all of that evidence, but most of you, somewhere along the line, have stumbled across that term, Dead Sea Scrolls. You've seen it on public television, you've seen it uh, on the History Channel, you've seen it somewhere. Very, very um, well-known thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls were a series of Jewish scrolls that were discovered around 1950. There were nine hundred, more than 900 uh, scrolls and fragments of scrolls that were discovered in, in, in the... Caves and hills just outside of a little Jewish town called Qumran, which sits right on the edge of the Dead Sea. That's why they were called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, one of the scrolls that was discovered there was a complete copy of the Book of Isaiah. Word for word, it's just exactly like the 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 copy you have in your Bible, except it wasn't written in English. It's been translated into English, but. The Hebrew is the same. And every scholar, whether a Bible scholar or even an atheistic scholar, they all say that 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 copy of the book of Isaiah dates to at least 200 years before Christ. So this is not somebody who lived after Christ and wrote it down as if it were prophecy. This, This is something that was written at least 200 years that we can prove prior to Jesus but if isaiah is the author and virtually everyone agrees that he is then it was 700 years before christ this morning we're only going to take the first two verses of that chapter because there's another little thing i want to talk to you about and that is a process that 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 we go through often in life and if you look at the 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 titles of the of the sermons in this series a dream is born the second one is the dream dies. And the third one is, which we're going to study on Easter morning, the dream lives again. Now there's a, you and I will go through that process several times in life and we see it often in scripture and I'm going to illustrate it much more fully on Easter morning. But oftentimes God gives birth to a dream in us something He wants to do in our lives or something He wants us to accomplish with our life. And we head out. It's a very, very worthy and noble goal. And we head out to do it. and, and, And everything looks good. And then somewhere along the line, we face what seem to be impossible challenges. And the dream dies. It just doesn't look possible. And then God comes along and in some supernatural way, The dream not only lives, it reaches a supernatural fulfillment. So this morning, we're going to talk about a dream is born. And we're actually talking about, remember way back at the beginning, I was talking about that concept of a superhero that's going to come and is going to rescue mankind. And this is a a divine person who's going to come. That's the dream that was born way back in the Bible, way back in the third chapter of the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. God begins to give hints to the fact that a rescuer is going to come. And so he births in man this dream that someone is coming. And that someone is not just a person, that that someone is a supernatural someone. And in fact, not not too much longer after that, he started giving rise to the name Messiah. You and I just sang, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Rescue from heaven. You remember that phrase in there? Rescue from heaven. Sure. So as God begins to unfold that, what He's saying to us is that, yes, I've birthed that dream. And today we're going to take a look at when that dream really comes alive. So let's read the first couple of verses. Isaiah says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? By the way, that was a Jewish uh, or or a Hebrew symbol. A person's arm, particularly their right arm, was a symbol of their power and their strength and their authority. So if, if I translate that correctly, it is, to whom has the Lord revealed His strength or His power or His authority? My servant grew up In the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in a dry ground, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Wow. What does that tell us about Jesus? Obviously, it's a passage about Jesus. And as we get in to read the rest of it, we're going to see how things that Jesus said and, and quoted actually are in this passage. Well, there are five things that I want to point our attention to this morning out of that particular passage. Five specific details about Jesus' life that Isaiah begins to unfold, okay? And so the first is found in in that concept, who has believed? What Isaiah was saying is that when this Messiah comes and when Jesus comes, the key issue surrounding his life and his experience on this earth is going to be belief, I would say that to you this morning. The key issue of your life is what do you believe? Because what you believe determines what you do and what you do determines what your life becomes and what your life becomes on this earth determines where you will live after you die. all starts with what you believe. And Isaiah said, who has believed our report? Why? Because he knew that believing was not natural for the human spirit. All of us struggle to believe in Jesus. In fact, we'll see a little bit later in this passage. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. What does that mean? We, we, we took a look at Jesus and said, either no way or not now. And we struggle to believe in him. Why do we struggle to believe? Primarily for two reasons. Number one, because believing in Jesus places certain demands on. On our life. And those are demands that a lot of times we don't want to meet. You know, when you choose to follow Jesus, there's a certain morality he calls you to, right? And sometimes we don't want that morality. It was Jesus who said to us, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we don't want to do that. And if you look at, at what Jesus calls us to, now He calls us to the best and the greatest that the human spirit could ever be. But there are times when we don't want to be the best we can be. Am I right about that? Yeah, sure. So that's the first issue. But the second issue is, is almost so radically different from that that, that it's hard to imagine. And the second reason we struggle to believe is because what God says to us that we need to believe almost sounds too good to be true. That the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who spoke it all into being, the God who created you, the God that that breathed breath into your life, the God that gives you life every day, the God that's all-powerful, the God that the Bible says earth is nothing more than a footstool to Him, that that God would take on human flesh and come to earth and live in, in our world and die in your place and mine? Does that sound logical? It's really beyond what we can comprehend. And you know what I think? On that first day in eternity when you and I get to see firsthand the awesome majesty and power and might and dominion of God Almighty, you and I will be blown away that He would ever come down here and take on a human body and live and die. But I can assure you, just exactly like Isaiah assured the people that he lived with 700 years prior to Jesus coming to this earth, I can assure you that the key issue of your life and mine is going to be belief. Do we actually and really believe it? So what's the second thing Isaiah says? Let's take that word, revealed. Revealed says, to whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? It's very important that you and I know that everything in Scripture, including what Isaiah wrote here in the 53rd chapter of his book, It's something that is revealed by God. It's not something that was discovered or invented or postulated by some human being. Isaiah was not a brilliant dude who sat down, crossed his legs, scratched his head and said, you know what, I think I'm going to predict the coming of a guy and I'm going to predict all these things about him that no one would ever imagine. It's not how that works. Again, one of the evidences to believe in the God of the Bible is the Bible unlike any other book in history was written over a 1,500 year span of time by more than 40 different authors on three different continents and yet they all wrote with a remarkable unity and clarity of thought about the most controversial topics in the history of mankind. Think about that for a minute. Can you even get 40 people who live in the same place? to agree on the most controversial topics of mankind. You can't do it. Only God could do that. You see, this is not stuff that's kind of cleverly made up. It's the revelation of God. It was God who said to Isaiah, Hey dude, pick up your pen and start writing. And here's the first sentence. Who has believed our report. And to whom has the Lord revealed His mighty or His powerful arm? Truly revealed by God. What's the third thing that Isaiah says? Grew up. That tiny little two-word phrase tells you a whole bunch. It tells you, first of all, that, that, well, he says, he uses that concept as a, a tender shoot. That means a baby plant. You know when you put a little seed in the ground and that first little thing that comes up out of the ground that looks kind of like um, it looks like a, a worm that's standing up, right? And you don't know if it's a bamboo shoot or a bean shoot or alfalfa sprout or whatever it is. Until it takes on a little form. That's, that's the terminology that's used here. A baby plant. You know what Isaiah was saying? That this superhero that, that God's been talking about, that, ha, that he's been predicting now for well over a thousand years, and this superhero that's not going to come for another 700 years is not going to appear as a mighty ruler, but is going to begin as what? A baby No one predicted that. And yet even on our stage, we have a manger. Because all over the world, the manger has become synonymous with Jesus. The appearance of the superhero of eternity who started out as a tiny baby boy. As Isaiah said, he grew up. Because he started out as a baby. What else did Isaiah say? Well, he used that term, dry ground. By the way, is that where you would expect to find a tender shoot of a plant? Not exactly, is it? No. And in fact, if you were going to plant a garden, would you go out and find the driest ground and the hardest ground you could find and say, yeah, let me put some seeds here? No. No. But very clearly, Isaiah said that this superhero would be like a tender shoot in a dry ground. I I wrote down in my notes an unexpected location. And sure enough, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Now, what kind of a place was Nazareth? Well, I want to tell you that Nazareth was considered the wrong side of the tracks. Okay. It was such the wrong side of the tracks spiritually that one day when a friend said, hey, I want you to come and see Jesus. He's that new prophet from Nazareth. The guy turned and looked at him and said, are you kidding? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now that's not exactly where you would expect to find the Messiah of the human race, right? And yet, what did Isaiah say? That Jesus... Location would be so unexpected, it would be like finding a tender shoot growing up out of dry and barren ground. Because, friends, when God gets ready to do something, He never does it like you and I would. Because if He did it like you and me, we wouldn't know God was doing it, right? We just think some clever human being did it. But when God makes things happen that people can't make things happen, then we kind of wise up and take notice tender shoot dry ground so what's the fifth thing that isaiah says isaiah says this there would be nothing to attract i got to tell you when i first read that as a, as a young man i'm thinking what nothing to attract us to jesus there's everything to attract us to jesus and yet what he was saying is oh no 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 it's not in the usual normal sense that you and I get attracted to somebody. Now, if you go back with me, way back to the Old Testament, the nation of Israel said to God one day, we want a king. And off of these, this, this sort of rule where we don't have a king, we want someone who's mighty and strong, who will lead us in battle, someone who could be a figurehead for our entire country, someone we could take some pride in. And so, who did they get? They got King Saul. You know what the Bible says about King Saul? He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the biggest of the big. We live in a culture, and unfortunately human nature has never really changed because from the beginning of time even till now, we tend to worship or pay homage to or grant great respect to people who are wealthy. People who are famous. People who are, are powerful. People who seem to have super intelligence. People who have great talent. People who are guys who are tall, dark, and handsome. Right? Ladies who are considered the beautiful ones. Isaiah said very clearly when Jesus shows up on the scene the women are not going to (gasps) swoon. Look at him. No one's going to write a Harlequin romance novel about Jesus and put his long flowing hair like Fabio on the front. (laughs) Why? Why? Don't you listen because what's going to attract people to Jesus is he's going to speak to something not to the flesh but he's going to speak down to the spirit and the soul of everyone and I'm so glad that Jesus came to speak to our spirit and soul now listen We've only been through the first two verses, and those are five pretty significant details, aren't they? Yeah, five wonderful details. As we work our way through, we're going to see more and more. Why? The evidence of prophecy. And I know that several of you are here, many of you are here this morning, and you're not exactly sure about Christianity. You're looking at it, and and intuitively you think, I think there must be something there. I just want you to know that what we're going to teach you, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, is, is truth that won't ever change, because it's truth that's revealed by God through His word. That means you can stake your life on it. And not just your life, you can stake your eternity on it. I want to read you one more passage of Scripture. Okay? Here it is. This Jesus came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. You know why? He wasn't tall enough, dark enough, or handsome enough. Didn't have enough money. You know this Jesus this rescuer of mankind, or as Justin taught you earlier this morning, that God made him who had no sin, this Jesus who had no sin, that God made to be sin on your behalf and my behalf. We're going to see that next week, that God took our sin and laid them on Jesus. This Jesus that God made to be sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God when he showed up into this world because he didn't carry with him the usual calling cards of what people are looking for, money and wealth and fame. And he never wrote a book and never drove a drove a car and never was a world traveler and never was a published author and didn't bow and scrape to all the people that that... that People usually bow and scrape to in order to climb the ladder. But Jesus just came and lived among people and taught the truth and loved them and cared for them and spoke to their heart and their spirit because He didn't have all those other trappings. He came to His his own world. But the world what? They go, no, 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 no. We're looking for tall, dark, and handsome. And even they... Then He he came to His own people and even they rejected Him. But, this is where this whole passage turns around, but to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Wow. And that's what God offers to us today. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Just this past week, In the prayer requests, there were either four or five people who said, I want to learn how to become a Christian. That's not at all unusual in this church. And I know there are more who who are considering it. There it is. You know what I wrote in my notes? Our choice. It's ours. That's the choice God gives you today because He loves you. And He says, if you want to be reborn, if you want want to invite me into your world, I will come down into that spirit and soul that Jesus talked to and I will begin to remake it so that you can become what I created you to be. Beautiful people filled with love and kindness and joy and peace and freedom. For you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Worship team's going to come and sing a song. It it sort of encapsulates everything I've said to you this morning. And as you listen to that song, a couple of decisions. Number one, for those of you who are considering becoming Christians, I want you to know God's giving you the choice. We just read it to you. To those who believed Him. Remember I said the key issue in life is belief. To those who believed in Him, He gave the right to become the children of God I want to encourage you to choose to become a child of God this morning. If you make that choice, write it on your card. Because we want to come and sit and pray with you and help you understand what that choice means and how it, can, and how it needs to unfold in your life. And then there may be people here today that made that choice at some point in life, but somehow it got lost in the living of life want you to make that choice to return to that choice and just to be the simple child of God. Begin to set aside the tall, dark, and handsome stuff in life and begin to embrace the truth and the peace and the joy that are supposed to be the substance of life. Father, as the worship team sings, as we think, as we open our hearts to you, would you help us to choose wisely, i ask it in jesus name amen we hope you enjoyed this week's message you can find more information about new life including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org thanks for listening